I have the opportunity to introduce our keynote speaker. Uh, it, it is uh, worth noting that he has been our keynote speaker for two years now. It's just that last year, last year didn't happen. So we were engaged in planning and in conversation. Airline tickets had been purchased, and Steve was going to be with us from Washington State last year this time. But that changed. And so when I contacted him after that and said, would you be willing to hold the spot for next year? And graciously, he was. I want to comment, Steve and Maureen are here from Washington. And Spring Creek Bible Church is ministering to us today. I thought about that as we were singing. I thought, you're not there. And all the things that you would be doing this morning, someone else is doing. Because their church is not only giving us uh, the ministry of their pastor for this week, but then other people in their faith family are stepping in to that role. And so I hope that you feel their support as a church for us today, as well as their pastor and his wife. Steve introduces himself in a bio at their church as having six children and a gaggle of grandchildren. Steve says that he enjoys dinner and drives, hang out with family, and all things sports are his favorite pastime. I didn't know that when we first had him come to speak. I feel similarly when it comes to enjoying athletics. Steve says that his purpose is to grow in the love and joy of Jesus Christ and to live in obedience to Scripture while helping other people do the same. He describes himself as having a passion for the careful, accurate preaching of Scripture. So when Steve was recommended to us by a mutual friend as a potential keynote speaker, and when I went on their website and got to know him a little bit through the website and his preaching ministry, and then since we've been talking, I can say that I'm thankful for the way God provides and brings people who were otherwise strangers to be together and to minister the word to us. Preaching the word is very important to us. So identifying men who can serve in Family Bible Week who will do that carefully is a gift to us from God. And so, Steve, I'm glad that you can preach the word to us this morning. Would you please come and teach us scripture? Well, uh, thank you very much for that uh, kind introduction, Rob. I can assure you that uh, Maureen and I uh, consider it a great privilege and a thrill to be here with you. It's been a long time coming, as Pastor Rob just said, uh, uh, we were so disappointed when COVID hit last uh, last year and that uh, this had to be canceled. But then I was greatly humbled that they asked me back. I thought that was your opportunity just to cancel everything. And, and uh, no, we just went ahead and, and, and moved forward with those plans. And uh, we're just, just delighted to be with you. Um, I feel like I've already gotten to know you. Uh, Maureen and I flew into Minneapolis yesterday afternoon. We made the drive over here to Wausau about two and a half hours. I'm telling you what, you folks, you probably get used to Wisconsin. You live in a nice place. Uh, I mean, it's green all the way, and 40-degree uh, temperature differential from Seattle to, uh, to here. And, uh, and I, we stopped counting at 1,324 silos that we saw. And, I mean, it was just a, a tremendous joy to, to come along and then we got here and they're putting us up in a really nice place we give this get in the room and there's this basket of goodies I put on three pounds already it's been just just a delight uh, so far so thank you already I haven't even said a, a thing I haven't even 
uttered a syllable, and you guys have already spoiled this rotten, but I'm looking forward to being with you this morning and the evenings to, to come, and Maureen as well. Um, uh, there's just one thing lacking in, in Wisconsin, but you guys can work on this, and that is Sunday you'll get a real professional football team, uh, <laughs> like the Seattle Seahawks, but uh, the crowd turns ugly. Uh, getting off on the wrong foot. Uh, no, I'm actually... I'm actually a Packers fan too. <coughs> yeah, after the after the after the Seahawks. So, anyway, um, we're going to be spending, of course, uh, this morning and the next several evenings together talking specifically about marriage and parenting issues and topics. And um, there are two things I want to say before we even dive in uh, this morning and this evening, uh, and that is. Uh, what I hope would be obvious, I'm not an expert on marriage. I'm not an expert on parenting. By God's grace, I've been married 35 years. Uh, I can honestly say I'm more in love with my wife and she with me than we were than the day we met. Um, that's God's grace. But we ha we're two sinners still learning how to do marriage. Okay, So uh, we put our pants and, and skirts on the same way as you guys do. No, not you guys, but you know, get it. Um, anyway. We, we, we live like you do, okay? So I say with the utter sincerity that everything I'm going to say this morning and in the evenings to come, there's no one in the room who needs the message more than Steve and Maureen. So we're with you in this. So if I come across sometimes exhortative, and I, I'm going to warn you ahead of time, I'm an ex exhortative kind of guy. Um, I trust that comes across as compassion and care and concern that we would grow in Christ's likeness because that's what we're here for to give utter glory to God second thing I want to say uh, before I speak anything of the word is that I'm very certain that anything I say this morning and the evenings to come is going to be new to you folks um, like Pastor Rob I did a little uh, stalking on the internet and when I was invited I got on your website and I've been listening to Brother Rob, and I've read your materials, and I go, this is a profoundly solid church. And I don't say that by flattery. I'm very grateful to the doctrinal solidity, the philosophy of ministry, and the leadership of this church. And there is no way that I'm going to say anything this morning or in the evenings to come that you haven't been taught before. Um, so with that, we're all in for some moments of review. We're all into, I trust, some moments of refreshing. Um, and I need that, again, like you do. Repetition with variety, it's been said, is essential to learning. Repetition with variety is essential to sanctification. I don't need to hear one message about marriage or one message about parenting, and I'm good to go, right? Obviously not. I need repetitiveness. After 35 years of marriage and parenting and now grandparenting, I need review upon review of some of the foundational, fundamental truths of the scripture that I heard back when I was a young Christian. And I'm suspecting that many of you are in that same boat as well. So, uh, this morning, and for the next two evenings, we're going to focus specifically on marriage. And, of course, marriage, um, speaking of marriage, is a target-rich environment, I would say because there are so many facets of marriage that we could all benefit from addressing. 
There's all kinds of issues. Marriage is complex. It's got a lot of detail to it. And we would all benefit from specifically zeroing in on certain things like communication. Obviously, we all are still learning how to communicate as husbands and wives. Conflict resolution would be a great topic to zero in on. Our complementary roles as husband and wife, headship and submission, what that really looks like biblically would be great. Physical intimacy would be a wonderful topic to hone ourselves on. We could talk about finances in marriage. We could talk about dealing with outlaws, I mean in-laws. We could deal with a lot of different subject matter there. However, rather than zero in on just one of those topics or pull out my pastoral shotgun and shoot at many of those things this morning, I'm going to rather pull out my pastoral rifle and shoot one bullet at what I consider to be, because the Bible considers it to be, the ultimate purpose for marriage. That's what we're going to do. And I'm choosing to do this, take this approach, with the deep conviction that if you and I as husbands and wives truly embrace in our hearts the ultimate design and purpose for our marriage, it will radically, positively impact every nook and cranny of our marriages. If we get this right, it's kind of like if I button my shirt. If I get the first button right, chances are the rest of the shirt's going to look good. If I don't get this first button right, I'm going to look like a goofball and everything's not going to be good. So the getting the first button, I'm going to share with you this, this morning what I consider the first button on the marriage shirt, the ultimate purpose of marriage. We get that right, and then all the things of communication, conflict resolution, sexual intimacy, finances, in-laws, all that stuff is going to come into place. If, if, large if, capital bold, underlined, if my heart consistently reviews and embraces the ultimate purpose for which God designed the institution of marriage and more importantly, why he designed my marriage and your marriage. Get that right and everything else right. And even more important than affecting all the nooks and crannies of my marriage, God is going to get glorified. That's what we're all here for, right? Without a doubt. To God be the glory alone. That's why we're here. And so if I get the ultimate purpose of marriage right, not perfect, that's why we have the gospel, that's why we have the going forgiveness and grace of God, but as long as I get that ultimate purpose right, I'm going to glorify God. And that's what we want. And, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about this in a moment, I believe now more than ever, in human history, I'm going to go out be that radical and say, now more than, it's certainly the history of the United States of America, we need marriages that get the ultimate purpose right. For the ultimate purpose in families that our children see what marriage is about. The LGBTQ movement is on an all-out assault to destroy marriage, to destroy gender, to destroy what husbands and wives are to look like, what marriage is supposed to be. I'll tell you what, here's the ultimate preventative, in my mind, of protecting our children, or my grandchildren are growing up, protecting them from being skewed and distorted in God's design. And that is they look at mommy and daddy. 
And they look at grandpa and grandma and say, that's beautiful. I hear all these other messages. It doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl. You change. You do whatever. Or who's with who and, and what you do. And No, it, oh, it, it does matter because I see mommy and daddy. I see grandma and grandpa. Wow. we got to get the ultimate purpose of marriage right. For the glory of God, for the good of our children, for our own good as husbands and wives, and for a world that needs Jesus Christ. Not only do our kids need to see the glory of God displayed in marriage, the world, a lost, dying world, a bunch of people like you and me before we came to Jesus, they need to see the real gospel. They need to see the real thing. And that's, there's a lot at stake here in getting the top button of marriage right. I also have, along with that deep conviction of, of the glory of God, most important, is that after decades of doing marriage counseling, my wife and I, part of our assigned duties and delightful duty as pastor in our churches, we oversee our counseling ministry, do lots of marriage counseling. It's my conviction, after seeing couple after couple after couple over decades struggling in marriage, is that their primary issue is what I'm going to review this morning with you. They may get the ultimate purpose of marriage right on a theology exam. They may be able to tell you, oh, the ultimate purpose of marriage is this. But they don't get it right in shoe leather. At street level. They don't live there. And so they have the communication problems, the conflicts that never get resolved, the, the bedroom that's not right. They don't get along with the in-laws. The finances are a pain in the neck. They can't ever communicate right. There's all these other trickle-down effects, but the problem, the primary issue is they have forgotten, or maybe they've never been taught, the ultimate purpose God created marriage, and again, more specifically, why God created their marriage. So I have a conviction that maybe some of you this morning are there. I don't know. I don't know you. You don't know me. Um, but some of you may be right there this morning, and you need this review. Some of you, all self-deprecating aside, some of you could come up here and preach this better than Steve. I'm looking at some of you folks that have been married longer than I have, and you've got this more dialed than I do. You could come up and present this more. But some of better than I can, and you're living it perhaps better than I am. Some of you may not be. I'm a realist. And I can understand that some of you today say, Steve, this family Bible week and your messages on marriage is, marriage is going to hit the nail on the head, I think. And I'm hoping, and Maureen and I have been praying, that by God's grace, you'll be humble and teachable and repentant see a turn take place, maybe even this very day. That would delight the heart of God, to delight your spouse, delight your children and others around you. This is going down in history as the world's longest introduction. Um, we're actually going to get to the message here. Let's go ahead and pray, and then let's just dive in. Let's ask God's help this morning. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your 
beautiful design of marriage. Thank you that you've communicated it to us in very succinct terms in your word. It is so foundational. It is so fundamental. It is so clear. And yet, Lord, we humbly admit we lose focus of it. You know, even myself, as I speak on these things and I counsel these things, that Maureen and I daily, daily need to be reminded of what marriage was created for, to keep us on the rails, to keep our hearts right. So, Father, would you please help us in this hour, this next 30 minutes for each one. I don't know my brothers and sisters here well. I don't know behind the scenes. I don't know how strong or weak or in between the marriages are in this room, but you do. You do, God. Would you mercifully use your word, this simple truth, to refresh, to invigorate whatever the need of the heart is this morning. Would you please do it for your glory, for the good of marriages, for little ones growing up looking at our marriages. And yes, Lord, for this lost, dying, confused, depraved world that needs the gospel desperately. Would you please do a wonderful thing in this, this service in the hours, the days to come. We humbly ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. God-honoring marriages, as you know, are centered, are centered in God himself, not only in theory, but in daily practice. Of course, the entire Christian life, the entire Christian life, including biblical marriage, begins, continues, and ends with God at the center. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, including marriage, do all to the glory of God. There's a quote on your outline by Dave Harvey. Uh, he wrote, When Sinners Say I Do, it's a book I highly recommend on marriage. Dave Harvey writes this, Marriage was not just invented by God, it belongs to God. He has a unique claim over its design, purpose, and goals. It actually exists for him more than it exists for you and me and our spouses. That's right. Marriage is not first about me or my spouse. Obviously, the man and woman are essential, but they are also secondary. God is the most important person in marriage. Marriage is for our good, but it is first for God's glory. End quote. That's my message this morning. To fan to flame the authentic God-centeredness in our marriages. Now again, not just like I can write it on a theology exam. We got God is the center of my life. God's the center of my marriage. No, when I'm interacting with my wife in those touchy moments, in those friction moments especially, God is at the center of this marriage. This marriage exists for God. Daily life, in the trenches. Another quote on your outline, Paul David Tripp, in his marriage book, What Did You Expect?, writes this. He says, I have become more and more persuaded 
that marriages are fixed vertically before they are ever fixed horizontally. Sturdy, horizontal love always begins vertically. Lasting, persevering, other-centered living does not flow out of romantic attraction, personality coalescence, or lifestyle similarity. It is only when I live, catch this, in a celebratory and restful worship of God that I am able to not take myself too seriously and I am free to serve and celebrate another, end quote. And another is, of course, our spouse. I love that. Marriages are not fixed. And my marriage is always in need of fixing, and so is yours, because we're not to heaven yet. Marriages are always fixed vertically before they're fixed horizontally. It's a relationship with God issue before it's a relationship between Maureen and I. The same is true of you. I have found, I have discovered over years of counseling that most marriage problems, not exclusively, I'm going to give a little bit of percentage over here for the exception, but predominantly when people come into my office and their marriage is struggling, I mean chronically struggling, their issues are with God, not with one another. Their primary issues are they have lost view of why God created them as an individual and why God created their marriage. They're focusing horizontal on all this stuff, and they have lost this. They have lost perspective on God, the glory of God, the goodness of God, the power of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. They don't even have the cross in their, in their perspective They've got a God problem, not a marriage problem. You get the God problem fixed, and I'm telling you, you're well on your way to fixing the marriage problem. And that's what Paul Tripp is speaking of. So, our marriages need to be deeply rooted in God. They need to be rooted in the obedience to the Bible, His, His Word. So we must understand from Scripture and embrace with our hearts the ultimate purpose for which God created marriage. Now, before I get to that ultimate purpose, and you already know the answer, but before I remind you of the answer, I want to be clear that there, that marriage was created for multiple good reasons. You don't say, Steve, man, you are like the one-string banjo, dude. All you talk about is the glory of God and, and marriage. And no, no, no. Steve's got more than one string on his banjo. Here's some strings that are really good reasons why God created marriage. God created marriage for companionship, right? We know this. It's not good for man to be alone. I personally am under the conviction that the best friend on the planet should be my spouse. I have a lot of good friends, men and, and some ladies. I've got to be careful with that thing, but I, they're good friends, right? But the best friendship I've got going is with my wife. That should be the safest, most secure, intimate, relational relationship I've got is marriage. So it's God created marriage for companionship. Good reason. Two, God created marriage for procreation. He, he created husbands and wives so that they might reproduce. They might have children. So in some cases, God in his wisdom withholds children, does not allow children to be born. Most of the time, children are part of marriage. And you raise a godly offspring for the glory of God. That's a good purpose for which God created marriage. God created marriage so that we could do more fruitful ministry. Maureen and I talked about this when we got 
when we got uh, engaged and so on, boy, we've been serving the Lord as singles, but now we get to maybe serve the Lord perhaps in a new dimension better as a married couple. So it's increased ministry. You know, she's a co-heir of the grace of life. She's my helpmate. She comes alongside, but I get involved in her ministry. She gets involved in mine. And that's a beautiful part of marriage. So there's lots of, we could go on. There's other great reasons why God created marriage. But they are not the ultimate reason. They are not the ultimate reason. Hear this. This is, this is my main point this morning. The ultimate reason that God created the institution of marriage and that he sovereignly created your marriage was in order to give a living illustration of the loving relationship between Jesus Christ and his church. John Piper states it like this. It's on your outline there. The highest meaning and ultimate purpose of marriage is to put the covenant relationship of Christ and his church on display. Again, on display in the heavenlies, on display to your children, on display to the world, on display to your church. That is the ultimate purpose for marriage. Daily embracing this profound truth is essential for a growing, strong, happy, God-honoring, gospel-adorning marriage. And we are taught it, as you know, in the book of Ephesians. Let's turn very quickly to Ephesians chapter 5. Would you please take your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5. Paul gives us great instruction. Obviously, this key uh, New Testament text on marriage, great instructions to husbands and wives, but then we're going to get the punchline as we come to verses 31 and 32. But let's just begin in verse 22, just for a reminder ourselves, this rich text on what God has called us to. Wives, verse 22, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. Just right there, pause right there, verse 30. Wow, could we not go on for hours and hours and hours and write books and articles and have seminars galore on just that, what we've just read, the roles of men and women, husband and wife, these complementary, complementary glorious tasks we have and, and the love. I mean, I mean, I could go on for hours on love your wife as Christ loved the church. Man, that is just rich stuff. Powerful, powerful. But then we come to verse 31. And Paul gives the reason for all this. 
the ultimate, I would say, the ultimate reason. Why? Why is it so important that wives function like this and have attitudes and heart toward their husbands like this? Why do husbands function like this and have heart attitudes and, and love and sacrifice and servant-heartedness? Why is all that so important? So that we can fill photo albums and have good vacations and fun family reunions and everybody can look at us and go, wow, what a cool family. No. Why? Verse 31 tells us, for this reason... A man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is great. The ESV says it's profound. This mystery is profound, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. So get this really simple here. Verse 31 is a direct quote from Genesis 2 which takes us all the way back to the creation of the world and the creation of marriage. And verse 31 is, in fact, a one-verse definition of marriage. But then Paul wrote verse 32, which is the all-important interpretation of verse 31. Again, verse 32, this mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. In other words, marriage from the beginning of creation was created by God to be a reflection of and patterned after Christ's relationship to the church. Something really important here going on. Bill Farley in his book on marriage, writes this. It's on your outline. From before time began, God had marriage on his mind. He was preparing a bride for his son, whom he would marry forever. It would take the crucifixion and resurrection of the groom, capital G, Jesus, to bring this marriage to pass. Think of it, Farley says, think of it. God created the most intimate human relationship, marriage, to speak of the intimacy of his relationship with his church. God created the institution of human marriage to reflect or mirror forth this eternal union. End quote. These are powerful statements and summarizations for us. Why did I get my marriage? Why did I get married? This is profound. This mystery is great. And Jesus, or the, the Holy Spirit, reveals it to us in the Word right here. God's design for marriage in the Bible pictures the husband loving his wife the way Christ loves his people. And the wife responding to her husband the way Christ's people should respond to him. Let me say all this review, all this review truth for you. Let me say it another way. God created marriage, your marriage, my marriage, to preach the gospel. God created your marriage to proclaim the gospel. Not only with words, 
But just as importantly, with action, behaviors, attitudes, speech that adorn the gospel, that, that make Jesus Christ attractive, and being a follower of his attractive, a marriage that demonstrates the grace and power of the gospel to transform, catch this, to transform proud, selfish sinners into people, men and women, husbands and wives, who love lavishly and who submit joyfully. Our sins are forgiven by God as an act of pure grace. We are perpetually loved by Christ in spite of our ongoing struggles with sin and failures. And now, being forgiven and empowered by God, we can and we must extend that same love and forgiveness lavishly toward one another in our marriage. And all of this, all of this ultimately points to Jesus, which is the ultimate purpose of our marriages. There is for, there's been times over the last decades along the way where Maury and I have received compliments of, boy, it seems like you guys love each other, you're so kind and everything. And at that moment, you could be a knucklehead and say, yeah, boy, we really work hard at it. Yeah. Matter of fact, I preach on this stuff. Yeah. No. At that moment, it's, we've got a good God. Because we're both a piece of work. And proud, selfish. Boy, there's some stuff I wouldn't want videotaped or put on the big screen in front of my church behind closed doors. But yet, God has just poured out grace day by day on us. That's the answer. No patting on the back. You and I have a merciful God. You're married today still? Mercy of God. Kindness of God. So again, Ephesians 5, filled with wonderful directives that are very important to teach on. We teach on this all the time. Wives are to submit to their husbands, as to the Lord. Husbands, lay down your life... Love your wife as Christ loved the church? Wow! That should end any sniff of manipulation and abuse and control and hyper-headship. That should end that. Lots of great teaching. But underneath all of this, all underneath as we're learning and growing to interact with one another in grace and kindness and mercy and forgiveness and flexibility and sacrifice is this drama playing out. A great drama taking place through those actions. It's the drama of the love relationship between the groom, capital G, Jesus, and his church. And that is a lofty truth. And I would suggest that most of us, maybe not all of us, because some of you may be more <laughs> up there than the rest of us, but for most of us, we didn't get married thinking this. I got married as a Christian with my Bible degree and my wife the same. But I can tell you when we were leading up to the marriage and looking forward to life ever after, happily, I wasn't really zeroed in on this. I was zeroed into, she's a wonderful gal. Life will be grand. Can't wait to have kids. 
to get to wait for the kids. I can't wait for the honeymoon. I just, I mean, this is, this is where I was, my views. I wasn't thinking, wow, Steve, this age-old, centuries-old, millennia-old institution of marriage, your marriage right now, Steve, isn't about you. It's not about Maureen. It's about God. That's why you're getting married. Ultimately, yeah, companionship, great. Procreation, wonderful. Shared ministry, fabulous. Not the ultimate reason. The ultimate reason, as we've been stating here, the glory of God, the spreading of the gospel. The world, the flesh, and the devil all teach us ever so subtly that marriage is primarily about us. Very subtle most of the time. It's about my expectation, my needs, my wants, my demands, my feelings, my fulfillment. Me, 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 me. That's the, that's the theme song of life. Me, me, me. In the flesh. So easy to make, not just marriage, but all of life about me probably why Jesus' primary call in the gospel, I call it his altar call, is if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself. You must, you must repudiate self, be done with self, and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. Because we, are, we just come out of the womb in a torrid love affair with ourselves. And even after we come to Christ and we get the new heart, we're regenerate, new nature, we're still battling to not make life and make marriage about me. Now we've been saved, though. So let me just ask you this. You say, Steve, really, is that true? Is that, is that what you make about me? Let me just ask you, uh, in your heart, quietness of your own heart. Think about one of the recent uh, disagreements. That's the Christian way of saying that you had a fight. Um, disagreement with your spouse. And you think about, do a little self-examination and think through what, what your thought process were when that was going on. In that disagreement or that discord, was your thought, oh, I'm so grieved that the glory of God is not being displayed right now in my heart. Anybody want to chuckle? Um, that probably wasn't what was going through your mind. It was like, I'm not getting my way, and I'm ticked. You're not seeing it my way. You're making life difficult and uncomfortable for me. It wasn't, I wasn't thinking ultimate purpose of marriage in those heated moments those difficult, strained moments. But I'm submitting to you that we need to more and more, we'll never get it perfect, obviously, until we get to heaven. Everything this side of heaven is imperfect. But more and more we're growing to see that. I can say, still in imperfection, that I'm more prone today than I was five or ten years ago when Maureen and I... Now, you've already been exposed to me a little bit, so how could you ever... 
get upset with Steve, Maureen. I mean, look at the guy. <laughs> I got innocence of humor here. People tell me, the more you get to know me, the more I respect your wife. I mean, that's, that's, that's right. Okay. We're learning. We're learning in those moments that happened in every marriage to stop and go, where, where's, where's, what's the purpose here? What's the heart here going on? Where's the pride? Where's the selfishness? Is my heart really guided, motivated by, energized, dedicated to the glory of God and displaying this wonderful gospel relationship of Christ and the church? Am I right now loving my wife as Christ sacrificially loved his imperfect bride? Learning that. Shoe leather, street level. It's my desire this morning that we would all grow in that. It's so natural for us, friends. It's so natural for us and easy to walk in what I will call in the valley of lower thoughts about marriage instead of exercising the holy sweat to perpetually climb to the summit of Scripture and camp there until death do us part. So it's my prayer that God will fan those flames, refan, refresh, revive those flames of God's glory in your own perspective about your marriage. That this won't just be theology in our heads, but that it would have extremely powerful implications on our hearts. That we'll humbly embrace this and apply it in zillions of marital situations. Me as a husband wanting to live as Christ toward the church and wives wanting to submit to their husbands and follow them as the church is to follow Christ. That's our passion. That's our goal. Here's an interesting thought as we think about this ultimate purpose of marriage. That marriage, earthly marriage, right, is temporary. There's, there's no marriage in heaven because there's no more need for the illustration. This perfect love relationship, the, the, the Jesus the bridegroom and us the bride, the church, it's consummated in heaven, it's finalized. We're forever married, as it were, to Jesus. We don't need the illustration anymore. In this life, we need the illustration for the, for the world around us, for our children and for the church. trust that this is kind of whetting your appetite for tonight and tomorrow night. We're going to talk more tonight about the heart, our heart as husbands and wives. I'm going to give you 12 principles. I call them foundational heart principles for being a husband and wife. On Monday night, we're going to talk about practicing the gospel in marriages. They're all, again, top-button issues to get the rest of the buttons in marriage right. But I want to end by saying this very personally, and I've, I made a commitment 
to saying this whenever in my church I'm teaching on marriage, preaching on marriage, or if I go elsewhere and talk. I've made a commitment here in recent years to say this as I, as I conclude. And these some lofty thoughts, this mystery, this profound thing of marriage and how we are to interact with one another as Christ would have us. And this is it. If you're in a struggling marriage, and I mean, you're before the Lord going, this isn't just average, run-of-the-mill, normal struggles, but behind the scenes, I'm in a very difficult marriage. And as much as I can as a sinner be humble before God, I'm really struggling personally, but also my spouse, and this could be a husband or a wife, my spouse is not honoring God. And they're treating me in a way that is really chronically dishonoring to God. If you're in a, such a situation like that, I want to appeal to you to not suffer in silence. And not to walk away from a message like today and what you'll hear in the next few evenings and go, I'm just going to kind of suck it up solo and work through my struggles because that's what God wants me to do. Yes, God wants you to humble your heart and work on your heart. But there are times, friends, and I've got a front row seat of this in my counseling ministry, where there are spouses that are doing things to their spouse that are not good. And it's not just, again, the one-off argument here or there. And I'm talking about abuse, whether physical or emotional, that's going on. And it's not right. It's not honoring God. And God doesn't expect you to deal with that solo. So I would be amiss if, in an introductory to coming here for a few nights to speak on these t topics to not say that. My appeal to you is that you reach out to your elders here and that they can get you the help, whether they can personally apply the help or they can find somebody to get biblical, robust counseling to help you and protect you. Okay, I want to say that. And secondly, my final thought is, I said at the beginning, I want to say it again. All that I'm describing here about fulfilling the ultimate purpose of marriage, to be the husband and wife that's living out this drama of the love relationship between Christ, Christ and the church, all that Ephesians 5 and much more in the scriptures tell us to do, teach us to do as, as couples, as husbands and wives, is impossible in the flesh. All of this, all of life, including all the directives of marriage, crowd me to Jesus Christ. Apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. You and I don't have a chance of living as God would have us live in our marriages apart from the grace of God. And there's means of grace the study of his word, earnest prayer, robust fellowship to name a few means of grace. We need that grace. We need the word. We need prayer. We need the body of Christ urging us on, spurring us on, crying with us, compassionate toward us, confronting us, exhorting us. We need that more than ever. So, I conclude this morning 
high view of marriage. Let us get that in our crosshairs. Let's live vertical more than horizontal. Talk more about them the next two evenings. If you're in a struggling marriage, don't struggle alone. Get help. There's help to be had. And ultimately, all of this, all of this of marriage requires us to be humbly bowed before God for His grace. Grace to forgive our ongoing failures because we don't get it right. Just grace to be able to confess and repent and restore and make things right and get the cleansing we need and grace to do a little bit better the next time. That's what we need. So I hope that uh, your hearts are, are ready for tonight and tomorrow and that you'll come back and we'll continue on in this theme. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your design of marriage again. Thank you that all of what you do in your design of life is perfect. And Lord, we need you in it. Lord, I pray for my friends here, whatever their season of life is, wherever their marriage is on the spectrum today, that you would use these words, whatever nuggets were worthy of holding on to, that you, by your Spirit, would embed those nuggets, those seeds in their hearts to encourage them and motivate them and bless them. Whatever was of chaff, let it blow away, then never be remembered again. And I pray, Lord, that for that marriage to hear that might be struggling in private, in secret, that good help, individual, personal help could be sought and experienced. And Lord, for all of us, we humbly bow before you for your forgiving grace and your powerful transforming grace in these areas of our marriages, Lord. So bless us, Lord. The remainder of the day, I pray that we might be able to reconvene tonight and be further strengthened in your word. In Jesus' name we pray.